Building your business was hard. Getting out of it on your terms can be even harder. Welcome to the Tobin Leff M&A Podcast, where you can rewrite the next chapter of your life with the help of business owners who have been in your shoes. In the past decade, Tobin Leff has completed over 125 successful merger and acquisition and exit planning engagements across the U.S. with a focus on marketing, advertising, PR, and digital firms. Go online to TobinLeff.com to learn about the latest in business so that you can build and monetize your company value. Join us now for today's conversation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Tobin Leff podcast. I'm Scott Leff, and delighted to be here with my partner, David Tobin. Hello, David. Hello, Scott, and welcome to our listeners and viewers. We are looking forward to having a conversation today to talk to you about how to get an above market price for your business when you decide it's time to move on. This is based on our decade plus of experience with real world deals and having seen what works, what doesn't, and what are great enhancement strategies. So we'll go through a few subject areas to get to this. First, we'll talk about market price itself. What is it and how can you get some idea of what that might be? Then we'll move on to some specific strategies for how you as an owner in preparing for a sale can try and position yourself to exceed that price. The third area is a look at different types of buyers and considering how the buyer profile can impact your price and how that can be an enhancement to what you ultimately get. And finally, the question of theory versus practice. Once you've gone through the strategies and know what to do, the question becomes, how do you execute those strategies most effectively? So market price itself is a kind of confusing topic because some might argue, well, you can't get above market price because the market price is what any given buyer will pay any given seller at any given moment. And while that's true, there are some guidelines and benchmarks. So if you look at rule of thumb and what generally organizations and agencies can realize, you then can position yourself to try and do better. This is assuming, of course, that you have the fundamentals in place, that you have good financials to present in a clear manner, that you have worked at positioning your agency for a transition. There are some core steps you should take just to get to market price that we're not going to go into in depth today, but you can find some articles and white papers and podcasts on those topics on the resources page of our website. But to to really focus today on enhancing value before that market price, let's start, David, with the whole question of market price and benchmarks. What does that concept mean and where do you get it from? It has to be real world. Our experience, you're not going to get it from a formal business valuation. Valuations have a place, a purpose, but when it comes time to sell, you're going to need market information. 
M&A advisory groups. We have data on transactions. Others do. You need to talk to friends, but you need to make sure you're truly comparing your situation to theirs if you're going to talk to others. Because many times we run into situations where people will say, my friend's got 10x or 12x, but that's a different company. A technology company trades differently than a professional services firm. So you really... Speaking to a number of investment bankers, M&A advisory firms, we have the data to really help you. There's also certain laws of economics that companies of a certain size that have certain growth rates tend to trade in a certain range. Others, because of the nature of their company, there's going to be a range. Our topic today with you is to share how do you get on the high end of that spectrum or hopefully above that range? We have some case studies that we're looking forward to share with you. And your mentioning of, I know my friend got 10X, so why can't I, is one of those topics that I always find very intriguing because what you don't know, among many other things, is your friend's 10x may have been based on 5% down and enormous performance goals over the next five years. So without knowing the details, it's really impossible to know unless you have the real world data. Great. So, so let's dig right into it, David. Um, I know you've been giving some thought, we both have, we've talked about it, to some specific strategies that our clients and our listener and viewer base can think about and implement to position themselves to exceed market value. When it's time to sell, and many of our listeners have sold multiple companies or bought, they, you will know, first the buyer's buying with after-tax dollars. So they're going to take that into account, the tax impact. There's risk to buy a closely held company. Will the clients persist? Will the employees stay? What happens to the DNA of that company when the founder is removed from the mix? So many factors because of that risk level, people are going to want a strong return on their investment, which puts pressure on the multiple if you unless you can address those risk factors so that that's given after tax dollars you've got to be able to demonstrate that investing in a closely held company is going to get you a stronger rate of return than putting your money elsewhere what's so important our experience has been your story your value proposition what differentiates you from a competitor. Any sophisticated buyer is going to have, if they have resources, they're going to have options. They're going to buy you or someone similar to you possibly, or they have the resources to build it on their own. So you have to be able to demonstrate that your value proposition is not easily replicated. It can't be easily built or bought. So your vision, if somebody's going to pay you a high multiple with after-tax dollars, they're going to hope, expect a rate of return. If you look at what private equity group type buyers, family offices, 
the larger strategic independents, most of those buyers or their investors are looking for somewhere between three to five times their return on capital within a reasonable period of time, three, four, five years. To get that, they either have to realize from the company that they buy growth. Your company has to demonstrate that you can grow. You have to play a strategic role into that acquiring enterprise. Or if they don't buy you, they're going to experience pain. So it's growth, strategic. And the synergies are not just the the obvious ones on the expense side. Any buyer is going to look at are there expense savings with bookkeeping, receptionists, and so forth. That's not the kind of synergies that get you the big multiples. The ones are the cross-selling opportunities, the putting together and realizing, forgive me for using this overused cliche of the one plus one equals whatever, but that's what it's all about. You have to be able to demonstrate how you're going to help that company not only grow, but also afford them an arbitrage if they're thinking about a future sale or liquidity event in some period of time. If they're going to pay you above market for a company, how you're trading, maybe your range is typically four to six. If they're going to pay you on the high end or above, it's because they're thinking about a liquidity event where they can trade for 10 to 12. So that that's all so important. The Buyers, when you cut through a lot and you look at value drivers, they want to know that the company is sustainable, it's going to transfer, and it's scalable. You have to be able to show them how that can happen. So that, that's a big part of it. And then, Scott, another segue, which you touched on, it's who are the buyers that will pay the higher price if you have that vision and you can show the value? Right. So I, I think you hit some key points there, David. Certainly uniqueness, being differentiated, having a value proposition that they can't readily build or acquire elsewhere so that you are the most um, economically desirable or strategically desirable way to get it. And that can be services that are in demand. It, it can relate to who your client base is that you're bringing along. It's certainly your talent pool. That growth curve is critical. Most buyers are growth oriented. I have a client right now that's a, a wonderful firm, but it has been at a a in a limited growth kind of flat mode for years because that has been what the owner was comfortable with, which is great for him. But it also has meant buyers have come to me and said, great company, but we don't think they have enough of a growth mentality to fit what we are about. And certainly you mentioned value drivers. We do a, a detailed value drivers assessment. We have the tool that we've developed that is really step one that we glossed over, but having your fundamentals in place. And then, David, you mentioned types of buyers. I know that some of our, our viewers and listeners have probably seen 
reports of what seem to be astronomical multiples, which often are because companies are selling to large publicly traded firms that arbitrage their stock's price to earnings ratio. So they don't need to get a cash on cash return. They can pay a much higher multiple and immediately have accretive value because the stock value for that acquisition is higher for them. But can you talk a little more about how types of buyers can affect this? I can, and then I want to use three brief case studies that will really demonstrate what we're talking about getting above market. So Scott, you touched on certainly in the marketing communications world, agencies, only certain companies will get large enough to get the attention of publicly held, publicly traded companies. So that's a small segment. Many owners know that more and more financial sponsors, including private equity groups and family offices, have made investments in your space, our space. And we're seeing more and more dollars, especially in the market today, because people don't know where to put their money. We're seeing more dollars flow into private placement and private equity dollars. If you can be attractive to be what's called a platform for these financial sponsors, where your company's the hub, and then they're going to add to that. But to be the hub, you either need the right, you have to be the right size, i.e., you know, if your EBIT does north of three, ideally north of five million, or you can demonstrate that you're the hub where if they use their resources, you can grow. So you've got the public type companies, you've got private equity groups. Family offices, we're also seeing more and more activity for our clients. It's a great market because they don't, if they like an investment, they can hold on to it for a while. They're not beholden to investors where there has to be a liquidity event in five years. So that, and then the larger strategics, if you can play a role. So, so God, I think, and you've lived through a couple of these. I've, uh, couple real quick case studies, I think, that will highlight, bring together what we're talking about. We have a client. We're thrilled for them. It's a solid agency, not real large. They're EBITDAs in the $2 million range. They're commanding a really strong multiple in almost all of their cash at closing. And the reason is that for years, they've been servicing significant clients that have major needs in the marketplace with what's going on. So they're at the heart of a storm that needs addressed with communications solutions for years to come. And buyers recognize that. Buyers recognize that their solutions are perfect for what's happening in the outside world. So this client, way above market, strong terms. Another quick example, also a client, $2 million EBITDA range, good margin, solid, really strong multiple because they fit a strategic reason for a buyer. Our client was a market research firm bought by a larger international firm. The buyers tried to replicate what this client's been able to do and they couldn't do it. So our client fit a strategic need. Another example of either satisfy a need or create pain. Over the years, sometimes there's challenges just with integrated agencies that don't have a strong story to tell. They're sellable, but they don't get on that higher end of the spectrum. We had a client that a couple years ago 
made a commitment to really own a certain vertical. Now, there's different ways to get there. It doesn't have to be verticals. It can be through capabilities and so forth. This client shared with us, Scott, you tell the analogy because you like to tell it, what we learned from him. His quote that we have used relentlessly since then is, if you want a growing company, sell into a growing market. And, and that's exactly what he did. And he was able to demonstrate in this growing market that they were able to land major clients, the buyers, the marketplace could see clearly the market opportunity. So those are three quick examples. So another quote, uh, my dad always used to say to me, ideas are easy, execution is hard. We've talked about strategy here, but how do you execute this strategy? And most specifically, what should our audience, if they are ready to go to market, be looking for in a team? What what kind of team can help optimize and what should they expect the team to deliver? We all know if you want to play at certain levels, different leagues, you've got to have the advisors that have experience with those types of transactions. So your M&A attorney might be very different than your corporate attorney today. Your CPA who does your taxes may or may not be the right resource to contribute when you have to go through a quality of earnings report. So it is time to pick the advisory team that is experienced with the size, the types of transactions that you're hoping for. They need to be able to believe and contribute to your story. We encourage everyone spend time with who your investment banker is going to be because they have to represent you. They have to package your story. Most of our listeners own Many own some kind of marketing communications firms, but you guys are shoemakers' children when it comes sometimes to getting your companies ready or marketing your company for a transaction. So your M&A group, that's their job. Creating a competitive situation, we all know we're business people. If you have competing offers, you have a better chance to approach it from a position of strength. That doesn't mean you have to go through a full-blown auction process with hundreds of teaser letters going out. But to do it right, ideally, your group, your bankers, bringing you three to five good offers, if not more, from qualified prospects. And you, you have to have the confidence, if you're approaching this from a position of strength, your advisory team has to defend your value throughout the entire process. It sounds great in the LOI that you got a good multiple and favorable terms. Don't let anyone chip away at that until you get your wire transfer. Yeah, I, I don't think we can emphasize that enough, the importance of having the expertise and the, the experience once the LOI has been signed to defend your value, because the buyer is going to be looking for every opportunity to say, well, we just discovered this, so we want to chip away this amount from the price. And we discovered that, so we want to chip away here on the deal structure, which is incidentally another important point, because getting above market for your company 
is not only about how many dollars you're going to get, but it's how those dollars are structured. And a deal that pays you 30% at closing with the potential of getting seven times EBITDA at the end, if you meet certain performance goals, might be less attractive and less above market than a deal paying you 60% at closing and only giving you a, a high end of six times. So there are many factors that go into both getting the best deal and assessing what is the best deal. So takeaways, David, as, as our listeners and viewers think about this conversation, what are two or three key points you think they should keep in mind? Vision, relationships, relationships with prospective buyers. If you think you're three to five years out, look for those types of companies that you could contribute to. Build relationships now. Take time develop relationships with your advisory team, and don't rush the process when you get into this. If you're really taking your time making sure your values align, culture, vision with prospective buyers, they're gonna know that you're being selective. It's, it doesn't get done in 90 days. This is a process for people to maximize their life's work or the one company that's springboard to the next. Great, I think that's terrific advice. Um, and what I'd suggest is if any of these topics or, or thoughts that we touched on resonated with you, many of them are dealt with in more depth with white papers, articles, other podcasts that you can access for free on the resources tab of the Tobin Left website, TobinLeft.com. We'd invite you to visit at your leisure. Likewise, David, I, all of our partners, if you have questions, something you want to explore, you just need somebody to bounce an idea off, we are happy to have those conversations at any time. Just shoot us an email, pick up the phone and give us a call, and we'd love to talk with you. And with that, again, thank you for listening today. We look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tobin Leff M&A podcast, produced by Hannah Vaughn with music by Holt Vaughn. Visit our website at tobinleff.com for case studies, additional resources, and to get in touch with our experts. Subscribe today and never miss an episode.